The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran okay honesty how do you really feel about social media you know that the spectrum goes all the way from I love it, I live on it, I can't be without it, to the whole thing is a brain drain and a time consumer and we would be better off without it. And yet, somewhere beyond those two, there is something else about social media and that is its tremendous ability to get rid of some of the suffering that exists on this earth. And our guest today is an expert at that. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Victoria Moran. Such a pleasure to be with you. And I am really excited to be introducing to you someone that if you are in the social media world or if you're in the animal rights world, you already know because he is far and away the social media animal rights expert. And he's going to help all of us to get savvier online and also talk about what's being done very, very exciting things by himself and and many others to really change the world for animals using social media. So John is joining us today from Virginia. He is a social media influencer and animal advocate dedicated to making the world a kinder place for animals by utilizing this tremendous power of social media. In late 2018, he launched his own independent program for animals through Patreon to maximize his impact, redefining animal advocacy in the social networking space. Since launching Watching this project, he has accumulated hundreds of millions. Let's just sit with that for a minute. Hundreds of millions of impressions of his content across social media. And he has recently launched an online course called Mastering Twitter to Change the World. Welcome, John Oberg. Victoria, I am so honored to be here. I've been a uh, fan of yours for many, many, many years, and 
to actually finally be connected with you. And this level uh, means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Well, that's fully mutual. And you've taught a couple of times for Main Street Vegan Academy, helping our um, about to be uh, certified coaches get out there into the world with a better handle on social media. That was wonderful. So I know that your online course is going to be great. I need to take that myself, mastering Twitter to change the world. Because I was thinking of getting off Twitter. It's like, you can't be everywhere, but maybe you can, and you're going to help us know that. So let's start with the history. So you were a little boy, and you had a mom that was into helping animals. Tell us about that. Yeah, definitely, Victoria. So my mom and I, we were really, really close. She was my best friend, and she really instilled a sense of compassion for animals in me even from when I was a little wee bit boy. And my mom actually used to tell me this story though, that uh, how one day I saw my cat, so I was in diapers and I was, you know, walking, you know, crawling around the floor. I saw my cat on the other side of the room uh, kind of roll over on their back and they fell off the couch. They were fine, but I was very concerned and I crawled over there as fast as I could and I started petting the cat to make sure they were okay. So I think it was partially in me, maybe from, uh, you know, I inherited that from my mom, but then she also really did instill a sense of compassion for animals in me. And she and I would rescue animals. Uh, we would, uh, you know, spay and neuter animals. Uh, we would rehome uh, animals who needed needed to be rehomed, and um, she really uh, taught me to speak up for the vulnerable and to, you know, give animals uh, a second chance, um, a future, because you know what they had going for them was not always the best, and we as humans have kind of a responsibility to do what we can to help them. Now, you actually went further, I think, than, than your mom did, is what we always want our kids to reach out uh, beyond even us, and uh, you became vegan. How did that all happen? Yeah, so it, it is kind of funny because, you know, she instilled a sense of compassion in me, um, but then I kind of took the, the step further and realized I should really be applying compassion to all animals. And so for me, uh, it wasn't, you know, any one light bulb moment that did it for me, but it was a series of events over the course of my first 20 or so years on this planet that led me to eventually choosing to become a vegan and vegan advocate who was then, you know, working on getting other people to go vegan as well. And so for me, um, really the, uh, for, for time purposes, I'll just tell you the last thing that kind of did it for me. And this was, um, I was traveling around Finland, and uh, this is uh, about 12, 13 years ago. And um, what I was doing was, I was backpacking, and I uh, came across this guy who was selling reindeer meat, processed reindeer meats, like reindeer sausages, meatballs, and so on, at an open-air market. And uh, he knew I was on a tight budget, so he said, hey, John, if you wanted to come back at 5 o'clock when I'm done, I will give you uh, the reindeer meat that's left over. And, you know, although I loved animals, um, I also ate animals, so I, I didn't think twice about this. This, to me, was like the best news of the day because I was going to eat a lot of free food. And obviously, being on a tight budget, that meant a lot to me. So I went back at 5 o'clock, and... Uh, this guy uh, named Bruno, uh, Bruno actually gave me uh, like a clear garbage bag 
full of leftover reindeer meat. And I was super happy about it. And uh, he and I were just talking a bit. And he's like, hey, I'm not doing anything. If you want to walk to the library with me, that's where I'm heading after this. And I had nothing to do because I was backpacking around Europe. So I was like, sure, I'll go with you. And so uh, we start walking towards the library. And on the way, Bruno asks me, you know, or he, he starts talking about the activism that he's interested in. And I had always loved animals and I always had this sense of, you know, activism in me and I wanted to be an animal activist. And so I decided to, I started, decided this is the moment to tell him, yeah, Bruno, I actually want to be an activist as well. And he says, oh, what kind of activism are you interested in? And I said, oh, I'm interested in animal activism. And he stops and he looks at me and he says, John, if you're interested in animal activism, you should really think about the fact that you have a uh, garbage bag over your shoulder right now full of dead animals. And I had never once in my 20 or so years on this planet, never once until that moment really made the connection between the animals who uh, I loved and the animals that were on my plate. And so that was sort of the final uh, thing that did it for me. The final thing that was like, you know what? This is, uh, this is a sign. This is really uh, a very compelling case. And if I love animals, I probably shouldn't be eating animals. And so uh, sometime later, I, I decided to stop eating animals and eventually went vegan. Wow, what a great story. And, you know, sometimes when I look at other people's cognitive dissonance, you know, people out there who are still consuming animals, and they just seem like they get so much else. <laughs> about living ethically and that and they don't get this and I'm so frustrated but then I hear that story from you and I think of my own stories one of which was I was 18 I was living in London I was already vegetarian but I was I had this leather and fur coat that my dad had had given me didn't make any connection there until I was out walking and tripped and fell in this giant pile of dog poo that that got into this long haired fur thing and was just the most disgusting mess ever and i heard the voice of god i i just it was you are a vegetarian who wears fur that's crap and you know that was my light bulb, bulb moment so how wonderful that we have them and may those light bulbs be going on all over the world faster than we ever dreamed possible. And that is happening because of, of people like you who are online reaching out to literally millions of people. So why don't we start about that? Why is social media so important in helping animals? Uh, well, I love your your story, Victoria, about, about the uh, falling in the dog poop with the uh, <laughs> the fur coat. What a uh, an interesting experience to then make you really think further about uh, your impact on the world. So uh, that is very cool. But to answer your question, why social media is important. So social media is essentially the new frontier for animal rights. Never before in the history of human civilization have we had this ability to reach other people across the globe in an instant it's really it is really democratized communication and really allowed for new ideas to uh, develop and new 
uh, you know, the horrors that are going behind on behind the closed doors of factory farms or slaughterhouses are now able to be at the forefront and are able to be seen by the average social media user. And so no longer do you have to, you know, go find a farm, a, a factory farm in some far off you know, city or state or country, and then go on some underground tour of that or, you know, trying to uh, get a sense of what's going on behind these closed doors. Now you literally pull out the device in your pocket and you open an app and you see all this information right in front of you. And you can be a consumer of that information. You can also be a producer of that information. You can be the person who is sharing this content with others. And by doing so, you can reach dozens, hundreds, thousands of people in a given day that who would otherwise not ever think about this issue. You know, like not many of us, I mean, maybe many of your listeners and, and you and me, we think about animals and animal rights on a daily basis many times throughout the day. But the vast majority of people out there on any given day aren't really thinking about animals or at least farm animals or our relationship with animals and how their eating and behavior is impacting animals, right? But social media allows us to get people to think about things that they otherwise might not think about. So there are problems, I think, with social media and certainly in a lot of people's minds about social media. So before we get into how you do it and how we can do it, I want to ask if you worry ever about the companies themselves. So at this point in time when you and I are speaking, there's a lot in the press about uh, Facebook uh, censoring content. And these are private companies. I mean, we're speaking through them, but it's not like uh, shouting out the window <laughs> where you're going to be heard with, with no interference. So does that concern you? Yes, that is an issue that is always at the forefront of individuals who use social media to advocate for causes such as for animal protection. And it is a fact that, you know, there is no arbitrator. There is no public process. There is no vote. You know, we don't have a vote in what these companies decide. These companies can make simple decisions like turning the dial one way or another, like turning the dial on censorship of uh, factory farming videos, or for example, and then suddenly way lessen the impact of social media advocates. So it is certainly an issue, um, but it's the landscape that we have to deal with. So while that is a potential issue, the upside is that social media, um, you can reach a ton of people organically at no cost to you uh, if you use it well. And that is something I try to get other advocates to do is to use it well. And there are a lot of animal advocates who use social media, but they use it sporadically or not so strategically. And if they were to use social media more regularly and or more strategically, they can maximize their impact. They can take, you know, going from reaching hundreds of people in a given year to thousands or tens of thousands or even millions of people. And this is this can be done at no cost 
with the current landscape. And social media is just something that we need to constantly adjust our approach to, whether it's potential censor censorship from companies or something else that we don't even haven't even thought of yet. We have to kind of adjust accordingly. And right now, and for the last uh, seven or eight years that I've been doing social media professionally, it has certainly been an option to really perform really well on social media um, at very minimal, if not, if any cost to yourself. It's really your time that you want to invest. And currently, um, you can definitely invest your time wisely, which is why I have made a really strong effort to connect with other advocates in the animal protection movement to get them to use social media better. It's why I just recently created an entire course called Mastering Twitter to Change the World, because I want to take advocates and get them to use the landscape as is the social media landscape and really exponentially increase their positive impact for animals. And what about how people can be so cruel on social media and, and people get it in for people and then all their friends have it in for that person. It's like playground bullying multiplied exponentially. Yeah, so trolling, which is you know another way of saying everything you just said, uh, that is certainly an issue on social media. Um, but we really have to kind of take a step back and look at the situation and say, okay, if there's someone being a jerk to you, that's one person. But for every person who's being a jerk, there are likely dozens of people who you're positively impacted. And then on top of this, for those people who aren't as respectful as they should be, uh, they are a drop in the bucket. There are so many people out there who are going to open up their hearts and minds to your message. And the funny thing is about this, Victoria, is that with the way that social media works, if you get people trolling you, like let's say leaving kind of nasty comments on your Facebook post, for example, that is actually beneficial to you because that then tells the algorithm that your post is worthy of getting lots of comments, getting wrong people in. And then your post gets seen by more people. So even if it's seen by a few more trolls out there, it's being also seen by many, many more people who have an open heart. And so this is a numbers game, Victoria. So naturally, the more people we're going to reach, the more trolls are going to come our way. And that is okay. That is just part of what we have to deal with as being effective advocates on social media. The thing is, you got to take, have a little bit of thick skin and really just take it and say, you know what? They don't really matter. All that matters are the people I am reaching who do have an open heart and an open mind to the message of compassion for animals. And I do thoroughly believe that even though most people eat animals, most people do want to be better for animals and are open to this message of compassion for animals. So I know your background coming into this is a little different from most people because you actually worked for animal rights organizations in social media, correct? Correct. So you came at this from more, well, I don't want to say business, but but certainly from a professional uh, point, point of view that you did this for your living, you increased your skills in that way. 
but I think that a lot of people, you know, they have a Facebook friend account to keep in touch with people they knew in high school and their extended family and that. And, and they get into animal rights, they become vegan, and they want to share about this stuff because they're passionate about it. But it's as if they're just putting up such a barrier to Aunt Bessie and Boise and, <laughs> you know, the great good friend that we hung out with after cheerleading practice. How How can somebody without, like, having a separate account or something, get some of this across to people without sacrificing the reason they got on Facebook to begin with? Right. Great, great question, Victoria. And so, you know, for me, this is a little bit different because this is my full-time job. You know, I'm, I'm supported um, significantly by individual patrons who, who donate to me monthly. And my full-time job is essentially getting you know, content to go viral on social media. Um, I have accounts dedicated specifically to certain, to doing this. So it's a little bit different, but this is this being said, anybody can do this, no matter if they have uh, a Twitter account dedicated just to animal advocacy, or if they're, you know, their main social media is their own personal Facebook account connected to friends, family, and colleagues. So you obviously want, you know, I can list off tips, um, you know, one of the things you want to do is to uh, not bombard your friends and family. And that's something that I think is really, really important is that we don't want to come across as zealots or overly obsessed with animal issues. I mean, it's okay to be overly obsessed with animal issues. I mean, animal issues are something I think about pretty much all day, every day, but it's important to really come across as uh, relatable individuals with a reasonable and a rational you know, ask of, of people, of whether it's Aunt Bessie or somebody you were uh, a cheerleader with in high school. Um, you really need to reach people where they are and not where we want them to be and uh, just continue being a normal person who also happens to care about animal advocacy and happens to also be vegan and want to encourage others to be vegan and to open their minds to uh, open their minds and hearts to the issues that animals face. And if we do it in a way that isn't overly judgy and is compassionate and isn't you know done too often, I think that we can really do it in a way that does positively impact people. And whether whether it's like you know, some college kid or whether it's, you know, an old friend or family friend, whoever it is, people are definitely open to hearing you out. And this is, you know, you don't need to be an influencer to make a difference, but using your voice, even if it, even if that voice is just limited to a few dozen people, that still matters and that still can make an impact. So how about graphic images? Powerful or off-putting? I think that graphic images are essential to our messaging. I don't think they need to be something that we share all the time when we talk about animal issues, but it is certainly worth being part of the conversation because most people care about animals, right? Like if you ask people on the street, do you oppose animal cruelty? Almost 100% of people are going to say, yes, they oppose 
animal cruelty. If you show people what's going on to mother pigs inside, you know, these factories um, or, you know, egg laying hens trapped in these tiny cages so small they can't even spread their wings. People don't like that. People want to vote no on that. And yes, some people will turn away. Um, some people uh, might even unfollow you, but most people will be at least somewhat open to uh, seeing this message and changing as a result. I do think that it's important that we don't focus on doom and gloom all the time. If we are doom and gloom 24 seven, what is going to happen is people are going to start to tune you out. They're gonna start muting you, unfollowing you at, at great rates. And that is something you want to avoid. So I would definitely recommend balancing graphic content with happier content, educational content, talking about your own journey for animals, talking about how you came to be the person you are today and how animals played a role in that. That is so cool. And when we come back after the break, we are going to get very specific and we're going to talk about the big three, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, and how specifically each one of those can can work in this area and what we need to know about each one of them. So before we do that, I want to give everybody uh, the contact information for John. Uh, his website is johnoberg.org, uh, O-B-E-R-G dot O-R-G. Uh, and he is John Oberg Official on Facebook. John Oberg on Instagram and John Oberg on uh, Twitter. And we will put all of that, of course, on the show notes uh, at MainStreetVegan.net. And, and you did uh, tell us that all, all of this uh, wonderful work that you do full-time and more than full-time is, uh, is funded through patrons on Patreon. So is there a Patreon link? Yes, if people want to support me financially, even $5 a month goes a long way. They can do so at patreon.com slash John Ober. Okay, cool. Okay, we'll add that for the show notes as well. Okay, in our last 15 seconds, do you have, uh, before the break, we are keeping this very valuable guest on through the whole show, but uh, do you have a companion animal at home and who's that? Yes, I have Dakota and I have Diana. And so uh, Diana, we adopted just over a year ago and we've had Dakota for, for a few years. And they are both uh, lovely pups uh, who, who are really, really bonded. And uh, we call them sisters. And uh, they really uh, bring a, a bright, bright happiness to, to our lives. Oh, that's so wonderful. I was in Florida last week. I was getting some Ayurvedic treatments done, which I put on Instagram, by the way, Victoria Moran, author, if people want to check that out. But I met a crested gecko named Ember. It was so wonderful. Okay, after the break, we'll be back with more with John Oberg and getting ourselves social media savvy. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield, May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. I want to let you know that over at MainStreetVegan.net, the blog this week is written by Reverend Sarah Bowen, who is one of the co-founders of the Compassion Consortium, and I'm a founding member of that as well. It's a spiritual center for people who care about animals and the earth. It's completely interfaith, interspiritual, and interspecies. All are welcome. And her article is called why Compassion Consortium, uh, to give you a little uh, idea there, or you can visit their website, which is Compassion Consortium, or some people say consortium.org. Our June celebration service will be Sunday the 27th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and our special guest will be another amazing online presence for animals, and and that is Jane Velez Mitchell, and she's going to be our Pride Month guest, uh, helping us celebrate that, and our Compassionate Book and Film Night is also going to uh, honor uh, Pride Month. Uh, Reverend Erica Allison, who's another uh, co-founder of Compassion Consortium, uh, is going to be talking about her book, Gay the Pray Away, about healing young people from the damage of uh, conversion therapy, which she underwent herself. So you can check all that out at CompassionConsortium.org. O-R-G. And I also want to do a shout out to our lovely friends at compliment.com, lovecompliment.com. Sorry, I left out the love. You can't leave out the love and be a vegan. So when we started talking about compliment, they had one simple product that was a spray with the bare bones, additional nutrients that vegans need, vitamin B12, vitamin D3, fully formed omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin K2. And so for the minimalists out there, that product, Complement Core, is a godsend. But now they have a couple of other products with other nutrients. We might be short on iodine, selenium, magnesium, zinc, and some very cool protein boosts too. So just check them out at lovecomplement.com. And if you put in Main Street in capital letters, all run together, you'll get yourself a nice discount on your order. So now back to our conversation with John Oberg. So let's talk about the big three. And I, I think you're mostly a Twitter guy, but let's start with Facebook because I think the most people are on there. What do we need to know about Facebook and how can we be most effective there? 
Yeah, so there's obviously a number of social media platforms that are out there, and there's always new ones popping up and kind of old ones fading away. Uh, I would say the big three, though, are Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, with TikTok emerging as well. And then some people define YouTube as social media. I don't really think of it as social media um, in the same sense. Um, so, uh, so for Facebook, uh, I do think that Facebook is a really great place to make an impact for animals and for users who are listening to this, who, who wanna make more of a difference on Facebook, there are a few things that you should keep in mind. For one, keep in mind the fact that um, I would really recommend your animal-focused posts be made public. This way people can share your posts and your posts can be seen by more people than, just who follow, than the ones who follow you. So for example, if you have 100 friends on Facebook and you know, let's say, your post about animals gets 30 likes and five shares. Those five shares will then take your post and post that post will go into the news feeds of the five people who shared your post. So the people who follow them will then see it. So then you can potentially get hundreds of views of your post, even though you only have a hundred friends on Facebook. So uh, having your post be public, uh, at least an animal focused posts, that is really helpful to keep in mind. And also don't be afraid to connect with people who, you know, maybe are, maybe uh, you don't have to have only your close friends and family on your Facebook page. The more people you're connected with on Facebook, the more likely you are to influence other people. So don't be afraid to add people, especially if you meet some great people at an event, for example. You know, I know events are starting to become a thing again um, in, in 2021. So if you meet somebody great at a conference, connect with them on Facebook. It is, uh, you know, that is potentially a connection for you to help you in some way or for them to learn about the animal issues that you are posting about. And really just don't underestimate the share button. The share button on Facebook is, you know, I think when animal liberation is eventually achieved in a few decades or whenever that is, I think that we will look back at one of the unsung heroes, and that is going to be the share button on Facebook, because the share button on Facebook has allowed us to have our content be amplified, be really be seen by exponentially more people than just those who are our our close friends and family. Cool. So let's move on to Twitter and tell us uh, the URL for your course so we don't forget that for Mastering Twitter to Change the World. Yeah, so if people are interested in my course, Mastering Twitter to Change the World, I would recommend going to advocacycollab.com. That's advocacycollab, so C-O-L-L-A-B.com. And my course is on that platform. Okay. And it's called Mastering Twitter to Change the World. If people go to my social media, they'll often see me post about it so they can find it by just scrolling through and, and checking it out there. And uh, and so that's the course I focus the majority of my efforts on. I would say about 50% of my time spent on social media is spent on Twitter. And that's because that's where I make the biggest impact for animals. It's where I've had... Um, hundreds of millions of views of my tweets is on Twitter. So twitter.com slash John Oberg, if they're looking to find my Twitter account. And so Twitter is this really great 
underappreciated platform. And uh, again, one of the nice things about Twitter is the very public presence of it. So um, whereas with Facebook, oftentimes, you know, you'll be speaking to your close friends and family. With Twitter, it's a little bit more public. And so uh, you have a little bit more of a, a public presence already, naturally, on the platform. And if you want to take that and then use that real estate that you have to post about animal issues, those animal issues can be seen by exponentially more people. And similar to the share button on Facebook, Twitter has the retweet button on Twitter. And so that means when people ideally, or most of the time your followers, see your content in their Twitter feed, they can hit that retweet button. And that retweet button will then send your tweet into the news feeds of all the people who follow them. Which means that, again, your tweets can be seen by many, many more people. For example, uh, so I have about 85,000 followers on Twitter. But each of the last couple of years, I've had um, over 80 million impressions of my tweets. So if you do the math there, that is, um, I think, dozens or hundreds of times the number of people who actually follow me. It's because of that, re that beautiful, beautiful retweet button. And so uh, Twitter is also this really great platform where many of the major public figures are active there. So even more so than Instagram and other social media platforms, Twitter is really where celebrities and public figures and key decision makers uh, and politicians and so on are active. So it allows you to kind of enter yourself into dialogue about these really important issues. Well, that was something I used to love Twitter. I mean, when it used to be newer and you had to be shorter with your posts and that, I just thought it was dazzling. And I did see that incredible potential for connecting upward. And I mean, I would get followed by people that I had heard of and seen on TV. And it was like, whoa, this is cool. But it seemed to kind of lose its luster. I think when the tweets got longer, it lost a little bit of that immediacy. And now I hear from so many people, younger people in particular, who are saying, ah, eh, don't, don't bother with Twitter. You know, it's all on Instagram and TikTok. And so it's hard to know who to believe. Yeah. It, so Twitter started, uh, it started picking up steam around 2007, 2008. And it was very resistant to change for a long, long time. It wasn't until, I believe, 2017 when they increased their character limit from 140 characters to 280, which is what it is now. And for a long time, you couldn't even post photos or videos. Um, now, when you get on Twitter, the experience of the Twitter newsfeed is significantly different than it was when you, you know, years and years ago. And we just have to kind of adjust accordingly. And... Yeah, Twitter isn't for everyone, just like Instagram isn't for everyone. You have to find the social media platform that speaks to you the most, where you can make the biggest impact, where you feel the most comfortable, where you feel like you can get the most value. And there are some people, um, whether they're young or not, who find other platforms to be more impactful. But I do believe that um, anyone of any age can make a really big impact by using Twitter really well. 
So when regular mortals hear that you have 85,000 followers, you know, we just kind of want to fall over and bow or something because that just seems so impossible. So so tell us kind of how, how that happened. How long have you been on Twitter? How, how long did it take you to get your first 10,000 and 30 and 85? Yeah, so uh, so I created my Instagram account in Twitter. We're talking about yeah, yeah. Sorry, I created my Twitter account in I think it was 2009. It okay. was early 2009, and I basically left it inactive for like six years, seven years, uh, and hardly even used it. And then I decided to start using it probably around I guess six years ago. And I I so I went from being inactive. To I recognize that social media is this really powerful tool to exponentially help more animals. And so even though I was doing the social media professionally for vegan outreach for a couple of years and then for the Humane League for three years where I ran and oversaw the social media for these organizations, I thought I'll invest a little bit of my own time and resources into having this social media presence. And what I learned then and what is still true today is that there is no magic bullet in terms of getting more followers. What you have to do is a handful of things regularly and consistently and over time. And that is going to be very incremental change and incremental increase over time. And so it's taken me a long time to build up a lot of effort and resources put into that. So um, something I want your your listeners here to say or to understand now is that, yes, I have 85,000 followers, but you can have 85 followers and make a really big impact. You, you don't need to have some massive reach in order to have an impact. You can have a single conversation with a single person or reply to a single person's tweet and make a difference on that person. And that really matters. And so for me, um, the growth came when I started recognizing a handful of things that could be done that really uh, added to my my presence on the platform. And so for one, uh, tweeting great content, that really mattered. So I, I looked at those who had successful tweets and what were the, uh, the commonalities there? What, uh, what really led to tweets going viral? And fortunately, something I, we have going for us as animal advocates is that the vast majority of people are pro-animal. They love animals. They want to help animals. And therefore, us as social media users, we can use this to our advantage. You know, our passion isn't, you know, lampshades, right? It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, wall paint. It is animals who everybody cares about. And so that gives us a leg up that allows our content to be seen by more people because more people are going to say, wow, I want to make a difference. Um, I, I want to retweet this thing that I just saw that has caused me outrage. You know, I didn't know that egg laying hens were trapped in cages for the entirety of their lives. So small they can't spread their wings. That is so absurd and, and makes me angry. And I'm going to retweet it as a result. So tweeting out great content, and when I say great, I just mean impactful. So tweeting out impactful content is one of the first things that I learned that really made a difference in terms of uh, getting my 
account out there to eventually build up a following. So let's move on to Instagram, which seems to uh, have really maintained its popularity and, and people just seem to like it more all the time. And I know it is adding new features all the time. So how do we use that one well? Well, I'm glad we're talking about Instagram because I'm actually currently working on my next course, which is Mastering Instagram to Change the World, <laughs> which will be out in a few months. So um, Instagram is uh, is a great platform and it's uh, it has definitely maintained its popularity. And what's interesting about Instagram is that uh, it's owned by Facebook and Facebook purchased it about a decade ago. Uh, and because Facebook owns Instagram, there are a lot of resources behind Instagram. And so for that reason, I don't think Instagram is ever going anywhere. You know, there's certainly been a history of social media platforms coming into existence and kind of fading away. Think about MySpace, for example. And, you know, who knows what could happen to other social media platforms out there. With Facebook and Instagram, they're so incredibly wealthy and powerful that I think that they're here for the long term, which means that if you want to invest resources, into it, I think it's a great platform to do so. Instagram has done a really good job of changing with the times. So for example, um, TikTok has become really popular over the last year or two. And in that time, Instagram has introduced something called Reels. And Reels are essentially a clone of TikTok and gets people hooked. They did the same thing a few years ago with the introduction of Instagram Stories that were meant to compete with Snapchat. And so Instagram is this really great ever evolving place where you can use, use this as advocacy. And it's so communal focused, like you can find like-minded people with hashtags, location tags, tagged posts, and so much more, and really find community, which is really great, especially for new vegans and new vegan advocates where they're looking to connect with others where currently, you know, they may not know a single other vegan in real life. This is a great platform to really connect with others in that way. So I had an experience last week with Instagram. I, I said that I was posting about this experience that I had. I, I went down to Florida for Ayurvedic treatments called Panchakarma, which translates as five works, but it's really a lot of very, very interesting therapies for detoxing and healing. And I posted the first time just saying I was there and what I was doing. And I think the first one was just a picture of my breakfast and people seemed to really like it. And then I posted a picture of myself all oily because they, they give you these oil <laughs> massages with all these herbs in them and everything and I have never had I don't think as much response in terms of likes but even more so comments people really wanting to know about this process and what's it like and tell me more about it and so I just went with it and I, I posted a couple of times a day and now I'm doing the follow-up and, and I tried to get the animal rights piece in there because Ayurveda traditionally uh, really likes dairy products. They, they like ghee and, and milk and other things. And I, I had an experience. They were, they were good with, you know, they understood about I didn't want to consume ghee. But then they talked about 
doing one of these external treatments and they were going to cook the rice in milk and a, and a lot of herbs. And I tried to explain, no, not even externally because it, and you know, it's so often, I think we tell people we don't eat this or that, and they think it has to do with an allergy or a food preference. You know, they don't get it that even if it doesn't even go in me, it still harmed these animals. And so, you know, so I wrote about that and, and how that experience went and it went just fine. But it's hard to know, I think, sometimes what people are going to be excited about. Is it good to just kind of let your audience sometimes lead you? Oh, yes. So true. It is so hard to understand what your audience wants to see sometimes, especially if you are a human who follows human nature and gets stuck in their ways and just posts the same kind of things all the time. (laughs) Even me, I do this um, too much sometimes. I, th- I, I get in the habit of just posting you know, similar content uh, over and over. And then I have to think, okay, I got to try something new. And for me, you know, I thought a few years ago, I was like, you know what? It seems like food posts never perform well for me on Instagram. I'm not going to really post those anymore. And for a few years, I've hardly ever posted food photos or videos. And then uh, the other day, I was thinking of something to post, and I thought, I took that video of that good vegan cheese pizza I made the other the other day, and I posted it, and it performed super well, way above average. And I thought, you know what? I've got to remember to post new things and really try out new things. And also, you know, your audience does love to see that behind-the-scenes stuff. They don't really love to see overly published or overly produced content. They love to see rawness. Uh, they love to see like behind the scenes stuff, which is why Instagram stories is great because it really allows for that, that, um, more intimate, um, setting. And so, uh, so yeah, so Instagram is great and offers different ways of you communicating and connecting with your audience. So in terms of amount of time to post on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, how often is it good before people get sick of seeing stuff from one person? Yeah, so it certainly depends. There's a, there's a ver- number of variables here that uh, make it difficult to give one set of recommendations. Uh, something I would recommend, of course, is this o- overarching thing is try not to overdo it. Um, is, and consider who your audience is, right? So if you're connected with a bunch of other vegans, it's one thing. But if you're connecting mostly with on Facebook with people like Aunt Betsy or, you know, old high school friends, um, you know, maybe be a little bit more subtle about it. You know, maybe talk about animal issues one every once every four or five or six or ten posts. Um, but if you uh, are connected with a large number of people who, um, you know, you I don't think would be necessarily too annoyed uh, if you post about animal issues more than post about them more um, in terms of the platforms themselves. You know, you want to find that sweet spot where you're posting as much as you, or where you're posting as much as you can without overwhelming yourself, but also posting um, in a way that isn't um, too much for people. And they're going to, be, you know, like, wow, I saw John post five times today. That was that was really annoying. Like, I don't want to see my whole newsfeed be posts from John. Um, so for Instagram, I would really recommend at least starting with a minimum of three times per week. And, you know, making animal issues, um, posting, posting animal issues as much as you feel you can without annoying people. Uh, but then kind of go up from there in terms of uh, what you can do. 
Um, maybe even posting once or twice a day would be good. You could do more if you have more resources and you have a larger following. But most, for most people, I would say you know three times a week, maybe ten times a week maximum. Um, with Twitter, you can really do as much as you want to. The culture of Twitter is that tweeting a lot is just fine, um, and that's because you have a lot of people out there tweeting a lot. So you have a lot of competition, and your your the tweets therefore are probably going to get less engagement and views per tweet than you might get on per post in other platforms. But you really can do as much as you want on Twitter. Uh, and then Facebook, uh, if you're talking about personal Facebook, you know I would say to try not to post more than a handful of times a week. It really depends on the content you have, how often you, um, how often you feel comfortable with it. Um, but I do wanna make one quick last recommendation uh, about posting consistency. And I would really recommend scheduling your posts in advance. Um, you can't do this with personal Facebook. You can't have a public Facebook page, like a business page or an account page. Um, well, you can do it with Twitter, and then you can do it with Instagram if you have a, a creator profile. And I would really recommend, if you can, schedule posts in advance because it'll make your life much easier. I usually schedule posts for a week or two in advance um, and then just hop on throughout the day. But I'm not trying to think every day, okay, what am I going to post? And so it really helps me you know, maintain my, my good mental health. So how many times should I post about this episode? Uh, a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that'll be easy because this has been so much fun and so helpful. I really hope listeners that you got as much out of it as, as I did. I'm excited now and kind of uh, re-enthused about the whole thing. So uh, do check out this lovely man, uh, johnoberg.org, uh, John Oberg on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, advocacycollab.com and look for his Mastering Twitter to Change the World course and patreon.com slash John Oberg to be a part of his incredible work on behalf of other than human animals. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, Victoria. This has been a great honor of mine and thank you to all of your listeners for the great work that they're doing for animals on social media and beyond. And uh, it's it's been fun. So thank oh, bless your heart. Thank you, and thanks to everybody listening. You you guys make all of this possible. And thanks to Unity Online Radio. So to everybody within the sound of my voice, God bless you, and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. 
Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.